Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. The whole week has been quite gloomy and grey. There have been glimpses of spring. It said that, hey, some spring is here, summer is on its way. But then most of the week has been quite gloomy and grey. And this morning, Point Street is trying to sort of rub it in for us this morning as the heaters are not working anyway. But you know what, it's a, it's a good reminder that even if on the most gloomiest, gloomiest days, even if the sun is, uh, can't be seen, does not mean that the sun is not shining. Does not mean that the sun is completely out of the picture. The sun is still shining, the sun is still there, and at its appointed time it will come out. Isn't it? And that's the sort of thing that James is doing with us in this series that we have been going through, real life, real faith. This is what James is saying. In the times of trials and tribulations, in the times of when our faith is being tested, it's not that God is not around or God is not interested in you. In fact, through these trials, through these tribulations, God is doing a work in us and through us. As we hold on to him, as we trust in him, there is a work going on in us and around us. And when I think of trials and tribulation, I mean, every one of us, each one of us here are going through things in a different way. So James here is playing the same drum over and over again. He's saying, brothers and sisters, what you have got hold of is a real faith for real life. It's real faith for real life. And this real faith is one which is worth living out. That is what he's saying. This is worth living out. London Underground fun fact. I don't know if, if you've seen this, but when you sit in the underground, um, there is this little gauge in every single compartment, every single carriage. You'll see that little gauge. It's basically a, a dial with pointers and numbers on it. And as the train stops and starts, the pointers actually move there. Actually moves, yeah. What does it say? It says that the pressure for which is needed for the brakes to work is is all right. It's working fine, and on the basis of that, they say that hey, the brakes are going to be working fine. And in in the same situation, in the same fashion, James tells us that our actions, the way we live life, if we have met with Christ, if we have followed God, if we are disciples of Jesus, he says. Our actions are like gauges and indicators of what is inside of us. On the other hand, if the gauge malfunctions, the first question that is asked, how do we know if there is enough pressure for the brakes to work? How do we know that the train would be fine to use, would be fine to operate? And in today's passage, James says one of the gauges to check our heart connection with God one of the indicators to check our relationship with God is to see how we treat people around us. How we treat people around us. So grab your Bibles with me and turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verses 1 to 13. I'm just going to read them and you can follow along. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, 
And a poor man's shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the, to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which has been promised to them who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing a sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord. We ask you, Jesus, that you would do only what you can do in our hearts, in our minds, Lord Jesus. Lord, do your work, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and let the name of Jesus be exalted. Help us to see what you have done for us and who you are to us, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the point of today's text is really simple. It's very simple. What we can do is we can probably read the text in three different translations and we can say, hey, we're done. It's very simple. What is he saying? James is saying, Christians, don't fall into the pit of playing partiality games. Don't show favoritism. Why? Well, simply, to start with, the first reason is because God does not show partiality. God's Son, Jesus, whom James called the Lord of Glory, he doesn't show partiality. And that is why James is encouraging us, urging us, exhorting us to say, hey, don't show partiality, don't show favoritism. So simply don't fall for any sort of favoritism on the basis of external appearances. Instead, he says, point yourself and the others around you to the one who can give you all liberty all freedom, all mercy. Point them to the cross, to Christ. Because that's where we will find liberty, freedom and strength to do the most important thing to do. What God has called us to do is to live out this law of liberty. To live out this royal law, the way of love. The way of love. That's, that's the sort of not one-liner, but those are, that's the same, in few sentences, that's what he is talking about. Don't show partiality because God is not partial, Jesus is not partial, and you can live the law of liberty through love. That's what he's asking us to do this morning. What is this royal law? What is this way of love? James tells us 
that he mean what he means by the real uh, by the royal law in verse 8 so what we're trying to do is we are going to go through verse 8 and till 13 and then we'll come back to verse 1 to 7 in uh, verse 8 he says exactly what Jesus said while summing up the Ten Commandments what did Jesus say Jesus said the first commandment here's the greatest commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul with all your strength and what is the second one the second love your neighbor as yourself love your neighbor as yourself and by love it didn't mean that warm fuzzy feeling that we feel when we see someone not even that orchestra that starts playing in your head when you see them. I mean that's what happened with me when I saw a man well, the orchestra started playing but he was he was not talking about he's not talking about that sort of love he's also not even talking about the love that Oxford Dictionary defines this is how it's defined an intense feeling of deep affection or great interest or pleasure in something. This is how love is defined in Oxford Dictionary. But he's talking about love that is described in the Bible. He's talking about agape. He's talking about God's love. A sacrificial kind of love in which the subject loves and cares and gives everything, all that he can give to the object of love to flourish. God gave us everything so that we can flourish without any agenda of his own. Without any agenda of his own. He inconvenient, real love, sacrificial love, agape love inconveniences itself so that others can be convenienced. Others can be put into convenience. As followers of Jesus and as a former Muslim, I can say this outright and clear that scriptures are the only thing that stand tall and true towards this agape love, the way God has been, God has been opened up to us through these scriptures, the way God has been showing, showed to us through these scriptures. Only scriptures can stand, stand tall and true. Jesus ultimately demonstrated his love for us, this agape love for us, by giving his life on the cross and by taking away all our shame and, and guilt away from us, which was keeping us away from God. He demonstrated that ultimately on the cross for us. But not just on the cross, in his life as well, while he was here on earth, he demonstrated this kind of love to everybody who came to him. A few instances. Number one, a leper came to him. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus didn't go, ah, well, today I've got meetings with Sanhedrin and the high priest. You know what? Really busy. How about tomorrow? Same place, same time? Does that work for you? No, he didn't go like that. He said, I am willing. Be clean. Yeah. And the leprosy left him then and there. There was another instant where this woman who was caught in adultery was brought to Jesus by the teachers of, of that age. And those teachers said, Jesus, what do we do with her? Because according to the law, she's supposed to be stoned to death. What do we do with her? They, were, they didn't come to Jesus because they respected him and revered him and say, let's see, he has got lots of wisdom. Let's see what he does. No, actually, he came to, uh, they came to him to trap him mm. by, what, by the response, what, what Jesus will say. Jesus, you know the story, how it goes. You know, Jesus gathers people around them and said, okay, whoever has not sinned would throw the first stone. And every single man standing in the crowd left the stones and went away. Where are your accusers? 
He says to the woman, where are your accusers? Nobody accuses you. I don't accuse you either. Go, sin no more. He didn't go to the high priest and say, you know what, I've been given loads of names. You call me friends of sinners, you call me friends of, I eat with tax collectors. I don't want to get into this. You will add one more name to me. He didn't say that. He was ready to throw himself into the situation where one more name would be added to him, but he wanted to show love and kindness, God's loving kindness to this woman who was made in the image of God. One more instance. He had this meeting to attend. You know where the synagogue uh, ruler Jairus, he had invited him. Why? Because Jairus' daughter was unwell, almost on the verge of death. In fact, she died because Jesus reached there later than expected. Why? Because he was inconvenienced by a woman who had the issue of bleeding for 12 years. She had spent everything she had, but still nothing. And out of this, when he, while he was going and, for, and Jairus was taking him to his house, there was this crowd and this woman thought, only if I get hold of his garment, I will be healed. I know what he's done and I know what, who he is. I just want to get hold of his garment. And as soon as she touched the corner of his garment, she was healed. And then Jesus sat down and spoke with him and chatted with, chatted with her and said, you are healed. And in him, in him, she was healed. Jesus took time out to show her God's loving kindness. And the New Testament, the Gospels are filled with stories after stories of how Jesus showed this loving kindness without any partiality, without depending upon who are you, where are you from, what's your skin color? Absolutely not. And James here in verses 8 to 13 is urging us, encouraging us to follow the same steps, to follow in the steps of our Savior Jesus. He says, this is how he loved, this is how you love, this is how he lived, this is how you live. He's encouraging us and lifting us and saying, follow your Savior. What about God the Father? Does he show favorites? Does he show favorites? In the Old Testament, when God chooses a people for himself, you know, when, when the nation of Israel was being called and God said, I'm going to choose you from all the rest of the people. God went to lengths to make sure that they don't get this choosing idea wrong. You know, God went to lengths in Deuteronomy 7, 7. It says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. In fact, if any of you even had the slightest notion that it was because of our numbers, it was because of our strength that God chose us, let me say this. This is what he adds. He says, you are the fewest of all people. You know what this does, this text? This takes away any notion of God choosing us because of the way we have lived our life. Because of the way we, because of the way we were looking for truth because of our family background, because of our racial background. It takes away every notion of that and says, I love you because I love you because I love you. He doesn't look at us and say, hmm, this one is worthy. I love him. 
No. He loves us and the reason resides with Him because He loves us. Amen. In fact, quite the opposite. If He has to count anything, then He can count this. What Isaiah writes about us and all humankind. This is what Isaiah writes. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. No one is right in God's eyes. No one is perfect. No one was able to live to, that, to those standards, God's standards. There was no ground to show any sort of favoritism, even if God wanted, because no one could live as per his standards. And that's when God's mercy shows up. In a very real sense, in a very physical sense, God's mercy shows up in whom? In Jesus. In Jesus. Because of our wrongs, we deserve punishment. Because of our shortcomings, we deserve separation. Because of our sins, we deserve wrath. But what we totally and rightly deserve is completely punishment. But because of His great love for us, what do we get? We get mercy. Amen. We get mercy from this Father who is gracious and kind. Remember James, James says in verse 13, he says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is where mercy triumphs over judgment. In Jesus, God shows this love, this mercy, this grace in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still far away from God, separated from Him, Christ died for us. He came and He took away our shame, our sin, and He nailed it to the cross. And can we go back to the cross and get that back can we go back to the cross and say, no, 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 this shame belongs to me. Let me just take it back. No, absolutely not. We can't negate the work of Jesus that has been done for us. Yeah. Jesus said, it is finished. Yeah. And it is finished. Yeah. It is finished. He died for us so that we can be alive spiritually. And even if we die physically, what will happen? We will rise again. Why? Because Jesus rose again. Because Jesus rose again, we will rise again. And when this truth takes hold of our hearts, things change. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The old is gone, it's passed away. The new has come. His Holy, Spirit, His, His Holy Spirit comes and resides inside each one of us and we become the house of God as individual people, but also as a people collectively. We become the house and the dwelling place of God. Again, Paul writes to the Corinthians with regards to this, that when we were far off, but now we have been reconciled to God through Jesus, through what He has done. This is what he writes. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. You know what happens here? I think one of the things that happens is our names change. A, a, a sort of a family name gets added to us in Christ. Mandy in Christ. Ale in Christ. Onaheli in Christ. And also a forename adds Reconciler Umpume in Christ. Reconciler Marcio in Christ. And it's not for us to go, hey, you know what, who I am? No. It's for us to gain strength from. 
It's for those times as well when trials and tribulations all around us. This is who I am in Christ. This is what God has done for me. This is what Jesus has done for me in Christ. And he says, and Paul says that you have a, you have a message that can have eternal consequences. This message of reconciliation that has the power to change destinies forever. Just as our life is being changed by, the hearing, by hearing the news of Jesus, there are many around us whose lives are going to be changed and transformed because of this news of Jesus. And he says, you know what? You're not doing this alone. You're not doing this alone. Of course, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. But at the same time, you're doing this together. In another part, in a different context, Paul says, there is someone else who pre pre prepares the, uh, uh, the ground. There is someone else who seeds, who puts the seeds in the ground. There is someone else who waters. But there is God who gives the growth. So we are not doing this alone. We are, we are doing something. Our job is, is to keep going, keep sowing the seeds. There is God who is giving the growth. So there will be some who will prepare the floor, prepare the ground. There will be some who will sow the seeds. There will be some who water it. God will give the growth. And that's why we're saying we are not doing this alone. All our differences, our racial differences, economical differences, social differences, all those differences go aside. We need to leave them behind, James says, if we have to have any impact of the gospel. He says, leave this behind. And that's where he is going. Uh, that, that, that's the point he, I believe he's making in the first seven verses. He said, you have trusted God who is not partial. You have been called to be reconcilers in his kingdom by following and pointing to the Savior who does not play favorite cards. So you also don't play favorites. That's the point that he's making. And he gives us an example to explain that. He, said, he gives us a story. Now, we don't know whether this story is... A real story as in a, a, a real phenomena whether this actually happened there which is quite possible because Jerusalem was a place where the early Christians were quite were quite poor and if somebody rich would wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say you sit here in this good place while you sit well, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down at my feet. You have, have you not made then distinctions among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? This, my dear friends, is discrimination and discrimination is a sin. What is discrimination? Discrimination is making judgments of someone on the basis of their external appearances and putting almost value and worth of what is inside of them. Does that make sense? Let me just read this, probably easier. To discriminate is to look at a person's outside to determine their worth on the inside. James says, this is a sin. We are not called to discriminate. A judgment of this sort which leads to partiality is a sin and does not align with the gospel. It does not align with the gospel. Now let me just say that what James is not saying. What James is not saying. I don't think he means that it's wrong to make 
appropriate distinctions. Now, for example, if Mandy is welcoming people from uh, on the gate, by the way, um, our welcomers, you, you guys are blessing to Trinity. Thank you so much for welcoming and doing this on every Sunday, every Sunday hour coming in. Thank you. Really appreciate all that you do. I'm looking at Jess. Jess, do you need any more hands with that? I mean, this is a good place to plug into it. No. <laughs> but, so say for example, Mandy is doing the welcome. And two different people come. You know, one old man probably uh, on his crutches or on a wheelchair and he is coming along. And there's another teenager who's like healthy and just jumping around and coming in. It wouldn't be wrong for Mandy to give a hand to this person who is old because of his infirmity and bring him in and show him to the place and help him sit and make him feel comfortable. It wouldn't be wrong to make that distinction because this person needs the love and care in that moment. That would all, almost be a manifestation of love which is not just justified but actually called for. So this will not be a wrong distinction to make that please come help, let me help you with this. That's fine. I don't think James is saying that is wrong. I also don't think that if for example, the Queen visits us one morning, or the Prime Minister Boris Johnson comes to us. I can see Daniel going thinking, oh, that would be really cool, actually. <laughs> if, if someone who is in authority, God has put them in authority, and if they come, and if Mandy says, let me show you where you can sit, that wouldn't be wrong either. What James is not saying, I don't think he's saying that because of this distinction, this is a sort of a radical equality of social distinction. Everything goes out of the window. That's not what he's saying. I don't think that's what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Don't show partiality. What he means is, don't show a self-serving discrimination that is based upon shallow externals. based upon shallow externals. Look at what he says in verse 4. When you do this, when you make these kinds of distinctions, you have become judges with evil motives. What evil motives? Well, here's how you see that self-serving discrimination based on shallow externals. In case of a rich man, when, people, when a rich man would walk in, I mean, you can go in the church, this guy, he looks like a real good giver. No more problems with budget. Come on. And that's where we have done that. That's where we have discriminated. Whereas the other person, with the other person will say, forget about it. We don't want, we don't want this, this kind of a person. When the poor person comes in, we don't want this kind of a person to mingle with us. Come on. I wouldn't want the lady with that sort of a bag to come in or the man with who smells funny I don't want my children to play with their children that's the sort of discrimination that James is talking about and he's saying that is a sin that is a sin you know that word over here the gold ring and fine clothing that can that was for them in that culture for us that can mean many different things. What is that gold ring and fine clothing for us? Probably a bigger car. Probably a nice suit. Probably 
shoes, smart shoes. And when you look at a person, you say, I'll leave that question with you. What are those gold rings and fine clothings for us, for me, for you? James says, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You're making judgments about people based on your personal preferences and selfish motives. In other words, we are being guided by evil motives. And this is why God hates it. The, New the Old Testament uses the language of God abhorring it. He hates it. Why? Because we make these judgments. We have the capacity to make judgments on the basis of self selfishness and externals. And God hates that, abhors that. I've been asking this question myself in the past week. And I would like to just give it to you as well, ask you as well this question, us together as a family, Trinity Church London. And I don't have a, one clear-cut answer to this. So if you are confused with the question as well, <laughs> I'm in the same place. I'm trying to figure it out as well. But here's the question. Do we think, do we think a marginalized person or a homeless person walking by will feel confident enough to walk through these doors and be a part of our gathering. I'm asking myself this question as well. Do we feel that this person will walk by and will feel confident? Yeah, I can mingle around with these people. Now, a lot of rationales come to mind. I mean, come on, it's about his confidence. It's about, not about mine. I mean, that's okay. If he doesn't feel confident, that's his problem. But really, can we do something that someone who is marginalized walks in and feels that, yeah, okay, I, I will be welcomed here, I will be accepted, that's fine. Can we do something about it? I'm not saying we start doing it right now. Maybe there is a, there is a season that will come. But when the season comes, we need to chat about it at some point. I'm just chatting with us as a family together. I'm not raising this is not a guilt trip by the way i'm not taking you on a guilt trip i'm asking this question to myself as well because why am i asking this question because the scripture in front of us begs us this question it begs us why the next verse challenges challenges us in a big way verse 5 listen my dear brothers and sisters has not god chosen those who are poor in the world poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. James here is talking about those who are poor materially. He is talking about the poor in the world. But this is by no means to say that materially poor understand the gospel and, and they will go straight into the kingdom. No, it applies the same. I mean, you have to follow Christ. Rich are called to leave their richness behind, to leave their treasure behind and follow Christ. And the poor is called to leave his poverty behind and then follow Christ. But would you agree with me that there is something quite different in the way the poor responds to the gospel? Because there is less to leave behind. It almost looks like a tad easier in that sense. I don't know, to me maybe. 
a tad easier because there is less to leave behind. For once, having less counts as a blessing. I need to finish. Let's broaden our view and see different people whom we touch on a day-to-day basis. Let's broaden our view. Yeah, let's, let's move ahead and broaden our view and think about the people that we touch on a day-to-day basis. See what Jesus says about, about these people who come from different walks of life and we meet with them. And this, of course, includes the marginalized. But may I call your attention to Matthew 25. Here is a chunk. I'm just going to read it and then hopefully we'll finish. Let me just read this chunk. This is about the final judgment. This is what Jesus says. And the final judgment happened. This is, this is one of the things that will happen. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Matthew 25, verse 31 onwards. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or or thirsty and give you a drink? And And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked? And clothe you. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Jesus here is talking about those brothers and sisters around us whom we touch on a day to day basis in our walk. Of life. I mean, when I read this, my heart goes, Lord, I want to live like this. And I'm sure you feel the same, Lord, you want to live like this. This life is fleeting, my dear friends, and it's fleeting fast. And it's fleeting fast. For this to become a reality, it will be very soon. And I feel that urgency in my heart to go out of this bubble of people like me syndrome and connect with people who are not like me and meet up with people who who eat differently, who look differently, who are a different color as me who smell differently there is a need of doing that I feel an urgency in my heart that hey I want to break out of this bubble of this people like me syndrome There is nothing wrong in having a friend circle with people like me. But if that's the only thing that we've got, then there is very little opportunity for this sin of partiality to raise its head and poke us. Because it's there. 
It's there in each one of us. It's there in the culture in which we live. It's there. It, we are bombarded by it every single day. We breathe in it. We are the, Tim Keller says, we are the byproduct or the product of our culture. It's there. This is where, I mean, we don't, we don't have much opportunity to tell God, God, this is the kind of culture that would really be want to, to be born into. No. But we have the opportunity to live out the gospel in the culture that we are in already. We have that opportunity. And one of the ways for doing that is to just expose all the areas of our life to the gospel. And coming out of this bubble of people like me syndrome, I would suggest, does that. Exposes us to the gospel more and more and more. Especially those who are different than us. Let me summarize. James says, do not be partial. Why? Because God is not partial. Jesus is not partial. He did not look at us before he chose us, before he showed us mercy to say that you are in and you are out. No. Jesus loved us and still loves us unconditionally. He welcomes us with open arms. And he calls us to live like that, to follow this law of liberty, this royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself.